Lego. Lego. Welcome back to Back to Brick. I'm your host, Garrett, and this is the podcast where we talk to fellow AFL designers from around the world about their awesome creations and designs and their process behind them. And then we get down to the breaking news every Thursday so that we can get a better understanding of what LEGO's been doing for the past week. So this week we have our designer interview, and this is going to be with Steve Mayers, also better known as Brick This. Steve, I just want to say thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. For everybody out there, uh, he's done a bunch of creations, and we'll definitely get into a lot of them today, but probably won't cover them all because there are so, so many. Uh, Steve, uh, if you'd like, you can tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, to kick it off. Sure. Yeah, so um, my name's Steve Mays. I'm based in North Shields, which is northeast England. I've been working as an independent Lego artist for about six years now, having got back into Lego loved it as a kid but you know stopped playing with it probably early teens and spent um, the last the last 10 years 15 years before I got back into it I was an architectural photographer so still very interested in architecture and buildings and things but from a photography point of view and then rediscovered lego started a sort of sideline business of doing lego models for clients thinking that would be very much a sideline business but it just took off, really. So for about the last five or six years, it's been all Lego builds, um, primarily architecture, although the last couple of years it's diverged a little bit, more vehicles and objects and things, but still very much a focus on architecture. Awesome. I love architecture. I'm a big Lego architecture builder myself. It's just fun, you know, seeing somebody else have built something like that, and then you get to take their design and pretty much design something similar in the best way you can, of course, with Lego. Yeah. For me, it was always, um, well, it still is about trying to represent something as accurately as possible using the medium of Lego. Um, That's what I find fascinating, trying to get that accuracy, whatever scale you're working at, trying to get it uh, to look as much like the real thing as possible. I think I'm a bit of a perfectionist with that kind of thing. I understand that well. I have designed many things at least three or four times until it's at least as accurate as I possibly can without destroying my budget if I want to build it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So you said you got back into it after, what was it? You said you were a kid when you first started, but what made you come back to Lego? Well, I think, um, so I I probably got into it late, back into about late 30s. So I had a good 20 years of not of not having anything to do with Lego. Never thought it would be back in my life. Um, I think I got back into it because I still had my Lego from when I was a kid. My parents didn't get rid of it. And at some point when, after I'd left home, they said, look, we're going to get rid of this Lego unless you have it. And I took it, not because I thought I'd use it again, but because I thought my kids would eventually when I had kids. Mm-hmm. So it, it was there. And I just got this, I don't know, this hankering to do something with it. Uh, it was a bit of a stress release thing. You know, we got a couple of young kids and I found it quite um, a stress release to start playing around with Lego again. Honestly, didn't think it would become a job, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I just found it very, very um, therapeutic. And the first project I did actually was designing my house as a scale model, but I did it all in the software um, because I didn't have enough Lego to do it. And I didn't know about BrickLink and things like that then. So I just designed Mm -hmm. it digitally and it was very much a, a one-off project as far as I, I was concerned but then you know I discovered BrickLink and it 
you can get things built for perhaps less than you would have originally thought and it all went from there really then you just kind of built uh like you said some of your architecture work did yeah. you build them for clients after you've designed something or was it just more of a, a physical display of how their building would look well to start the first couple of years it was just a hobby really i did my house um at minifigure scale and then and then probably i had a good year when i didn't do anything that was a one-off project i thought and then about a year later about 2014 i came back to it and i did a building an art gallery in gateshead called the baltic and really got into that one but it you know there was no client for that it was just a hobby build and then i did a couple mm -hmm. more iconic buildings from around the area and it was and so there's a good there was probably a couple of years of it just very much being a hobby but i started to wonder if there could be a an angle here a lot of my clients were architects already as doing work as a photographer so i thought you know maybe i'll offer put a little website together you can do that quite cheaply now put a few pictures on of the builds i'd done and see if it might be a nice little sideline um and that led to a couple of projects that were kind of through through photography clients i think or old contacts to begin with um i mean it's changed since then but you know that was the um it was quite a quick transition from it being a hobby to being getting commissions and doing work. <laughs> I mean, I've done a few commissions. How how did you go about getting these commissions? Was it mostly like you said through your architecture yeah. uh, friends or okay. So yeah, so to start with, I put together a little cheap website through WordPress, I think. I, I put a few pictures on of the builds I'd done. I came up with the, the Brickness Brick This company name. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a great deal of planning that went into it. I honestly didn't think it would come to anything. And I emailed around all my contacts and said hey, you know here's a strange thing you know, i've got back into lego <laughs> so if any of you fancy me building a, a lego model of your buildings rather than just photographing them <laughs> let me know <laughs> and a couple of things came from it and i think sometimes it only takes a couple of a couple of projects to get your foot in the door with that market and they were getting a lot of interest and i think because i was a photographer i had the ability to photograph my models quite well so I think from the start that helped with things like Instagram and other social media outlets for showing them off well. Um, and I guess there was a bit of luck in it as well. I got a couple of projects. And the other thing I suppose is because I was self-employed, I, I had the flexibility to, to choose what I did with my time a bit more. It was a bit of a risk, but I did have time to work on projects. And I think, you know, if you, I, I know a lot of great builders, Lego builders who, are very talented but they've got really well-paid jobs or very busy jobs and perhaps just don't have the time to put into it and i was in a position where i had a bit more control over my time so i could decide to spend some time on lego for a while and see where it went i wish i had that kind of time uh, <laughs> <laughs> i i unfortunately am a, one of those persons that does have a job that i can't leave <laughs> yet yeah. yet to do it but right um <laughs> It definitely is fun because, like you said, you get time to experiment and figure things out. And like, it looks like one of your like most iconic models is the was it the winged angel or the wooden angel? Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Or wow, the angel of the north. Angel there we of the go. north. It's called angel of the north. Yeah. So, what's the story about? Why did you choose that? Well, the story there, I think that that's a that's a very famous local icon. I mean, you probably won't have heard of it over there where are you based by the way 
Uh, I'm in Maryland at the moment, but we are okay. in the process of moving to Georgia. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Yeah, so the Angel of the North is, um, a, it was a stat, it's, a, it's me- made of metal, it's um, massive, like 20 meters tall, and it's on a hill in Gateshead, which is about 10 miles from me, and it was built about 20 years ago as a kind of regeneration project. Um, and it's become quite iconic, certainly in this part of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I, as a photographer, I'd, I'd photographed it loads of times in all seasons and loved it. So it was, it was um, I knew at some point I would do it in Lego. It was challenging because it's quite a curvy structure in places. And it's got this grid-like structure on the wings that wasn't instantly obvious how to do it. <laughs> but that's you know i like that challenge so i've done that a couple of different scales now and yeah that was um that's one of my favorite models actually because it's quite simple in a way you know it's one color pretty much Mm -hmm. um but it's come out really well you know scale wise it's pretty much bang on yeah it's um yeah it's not i guess you know and it's not a building so actually it was a slight divergence from the architecture early on but i'd still class that all as sort of built environment stuff i guess Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say it. It is a very interesting model. It reminds me of like almost Soviet era architecture. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with, it's quite um, uh, quite brutal looking. Yes, uh, and, yeah, because of the steel. Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I absolutely love it, and I, and I think most people do. But there was some. Um, not everybody did when it was first built. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't everyone's cup of tea. But usually, yeah, I was going to say most architecture uh, things like that that are ahead of their time is not appreciated until much later no i don't think whenever they do something now that promotes england as a whole you know they put a few iconic things on it they'll put tower bridge from london and big Ben Mm -hmm. and things and and they'll always put the angel of the north on now it's become very much a, a symbol of the north of england so it's kind of done its job from that front um whether you like it or not it's become quite iconic <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know another thing that's iconic about well not just england but europe in general is i see that you're a football fan um, well so quite a few stadiums <laughs> i'm not a big football fan actually <laughs> really <laughs> yeah um that is I mean, actually surprising. A little bit. so the football thing there's there's a couple of things that people say I must be a fan of. One is trains because I've built a lot of trains. <laughs> I'm not particularly. That's just where the the projects have gone. And the same with mm-hmm. the football stadium. So quite early on, one of my first commissions actually was St James's Park football ground in Newcastle. And football in Newcastle is massive. You know, it's it's abs. It's for a lot of people, it's their life. <laughs> and the stadium's quite iconic. So, and they commissioned me to do a model of it. The, the the charity associated with the club, the Newcastle United Foundation. So I built that, and then they wanted a little one that that they could build with kids in a hospital nearby as a sort of um, activity for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I love doing it, but I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't more into it. Well, I'm not that into Lego, into football, so it was not particularly more exciting for me than any other project. But then the last year or so, I, I've started doing a few of the little models that I, that I do as really limited run sets. And I've done a few football grounds because they're popular. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, not a massive, I'm not a massive football fan, but you would be forgiven for thinking that, absolutely. 
Well, and like you said, it, it goes with the job, and I completely understand that. A lot of people might think that I love Star Wars. Well, they're right, but I also, <laughs> <laughs> there are many projects that I've done that I've not been interested in, but I've done it just yeah. for that, that uh, client base or the drive of people that really like something like that. And I see yeah. you've also done like Wimbledon as well, so stadium yeah. styles. Well, I do, I think, I mean, it's still architecture, so that, you know, I still, and they're often quite iconic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, and I, this is my this is my full time job, so I have to think sometimes about what is going to sell well. And, and the football ground thing, and and I've done yeah, I've done Wimbledon, and I've done a, a rugby stadium as well. It was kind of a, a look at doing something that was would be popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still love doing them. There's something about the process of designing so that that's been a slight change of direction for me recently. Doing some smaller sets that people can build with instructions. So yeah, it's still architecture. It's still very much within the. Um, my aim really i suppose with this business there's plenty of projects i've that i've not wanted to do usually evolving models of people or you know portraits of people's faces and things or or animals i just that doesn't appeal to me at all (laughs) yeah that's that's tough for me i can't do those either (laughs) those are completely different literal animal to figure out Um, yeah yeah, but just like you said, you've started to build some of these models in smaller scales so people can can build them yourselves. Yeah, talk to me about how you went about like designing and creating these limited run sets because, like you said, some of the football stadiums have pieces that you know aren't made by Lego to represent uh, the pitch and all that. Also, all yeah. of the stuff I've learned about football is from Ted Lasso. I have to put that out in there now. I don't know anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so the sets. I mean, this this has all been led by the pandemic, really. Up until the pandemic hit, everything I did was one-off models quite big sometimes, you know, tens of thousands of pieces. That dried up a bit last year. So I started looking at doing some um, sets with instructions. I wasn't going to actually sell them as sets with the parts. Um, I, I was, wasn't sure whether you could, actually. Um, but um, so I so I did a Newcastle Gateshead skyline. So I, I love the architecture skyline sets that Lego produce. They won't ever do a Newcastle one because we're too too small here, really. So I thought I'd have a go at designing a skyline for Newcastle Gateshead. It's kind of a, the two cities are either side of the river, so they're kind of joined. And I just released instructions for it, and that did really well. So I thought maybe I'd do it as a limited run set, you know, do twenty or thirty and see how they go. And they were pretty popular, so I. I really got a bug for doing this, and I've designed quite a few skyline sets now from the north of England. A few football grounds, a few. There's this Angel of the North model in there, Tyne Bridge, a few others, and and they've turned out to be a nice little range, I think. And so, and the idea with them is you can buy the instructions if you want, and people like yourself and other people who are into Lego are quite happy to source the pieces themselves. But most people aren't. They haven't got a clue how to source the pieces if they haven't got them. So I hardly sell any instructions now. Everyone wants the, the box sets with all the parts in. Um, mm-hmm. It's time-consuming get gathering the parts in and putting the sets together. So they're relatively expensive sets, I think, compared to an equivalent-sized official set. So I've tried to make them special, you know, signed boxes and numbered and really nice little gifts. And uh, you mentioned the bespoke parts. that It's still Lego. Um, it's just they're printed on. So I have the, the pitch printed on the tiles for the football grounds and the tennis and, and the Wimbledon centre court. And then I have the name of it printed on it. So, you know, with the architecture sets, they have Berlin or New York. on. Yes. The, on yeah. 
yeah, get them done as well. So, in front. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I did it because things were quiet and they've now become quite a core part of the business in a way. And I love doing them. I think what was missing for me with doing the big models was while I love doing them, people don't get involved in any way. There's no, and there's something for me, something I like about designing a model and working out how someone else can build it step by step and knowing they're going to get the pieces and put it together themselves. I really enjoy that side of it. I think that is the fun part of any build because, you know, you get to build it and design and have fun doing it yourself. And what was nice for most of yours were commissions so they can be displayed. But like you said, they're not involved in the process. But now you have anyone that, you know, wants to, they can buy it and build it themselves and have it displayed. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing about a big model is it can be quite inspiring in some ways and people will love seeing them but they don't necessarily go away and think, oh, I'm going to do that at home. You know, that they're too big. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the models I did recently had 100,000 pieces in it and it took up like, it was three meters long. <laughs> you just, you just can't, um, it's almost, off, you know, I can imagine seeing that and being a bit put off trying to do something with Lego <laughs> because it, you know, you can't, no one's going to have enough Lego at home to, to be able to do that. So there's something, there's something nice about doing something smaller. It's a bit more um, relatable too for people and even if they haven't got the piece even if they don't want to buy the set if they get the instructions and have a go at it with different colored pieces you know make their own version of it that's something that i love about that idea putting their own take on it then like you said some of these sets or some of the models that you built that are super large people are like oh that'd be so cool if they were smaller and you do take the time then to even re-engineer and redesign something in a scale that somebody can afford yeah, and what's happening now is for quite a few clients, so a lot of the clients that I work for are their venues like museums and galleries and things. And they, they don't necessarily just want stuff that people look at. They want people to be involved. Mm-hmm. So my, my offering now sometimes is I'll do a big model for you as a centerpiece, but then we'll do some little models with instructions and you'll maybe have 10 or 15 of them at your venue that people can make when they're there and they leave them for the next lot of people that come. Um, so that there's a bit more hands-on that changed the last year or so that wasn't always possible but you know going forward I think a lot of venues and galleries and museums and places like that are interested in people being involved and building things so and I quite like that so you do I do a big model and then I'll do a little one with instructions that they can that people can get involved with and then they get to interact there and then maybe they'll reach out to you again. It's, it's kind of like yeah. a pass along to, Oh, we had a great exhibit in this museum and some other museums like, Oh, well maybe we want that too. And um, yeah. so you continue to promote your work by building your work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the works that I love from your museum collections that you've done is the Enigma machine. So tell me, how did you get the opportunity to one, build it and two, get to interact with an actual Enigma? So that was part of an exhibition that went through various stages of what it was going to be about. But the general theme was sort of great achievements and human progress. And it's an exhibition that is still on now, a place called the center for life in Newcastle. And it's one of about 20 models I put together for them. And the story there was kind of cracking the Enigma code. So, and, uh, and the Enigma machine itself is quite an iconic looking thing. And I, I, I just got a little idea that it might work really well as a Lego model, full size pretty much. So, and there just happens to be one at another museum nearby. And they let me, called the Discovery Museum, they let me 
go and have a look at that one close up. Couldn't touch it or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they showed they opened it up and showed me some of the workings and stuff. So it's kind of based on that one, although they're all they're all pretty similar. So and there's enough pictures on the internet to be able to to work from them. Yeah, I, it's one of my favourite ones. There's there's just something about the um, I don't know how how accurate you could. I ended up being a, how accurately I could do it. It's such it's such a complicated machine when you open it up. All the cogs and wheels and things, and a lot of silver. And I love working with silver and gold. Quite a bit of special printing on it, so that the, the keypad's got the letters printed on, and there's some nice little like edition number for the machine. I guess it is that's printed on as well. Really went to town on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks just like it. So I work in cryptology and this oh, okay. is, we have one of these. I walk by it every day I go to work <laughs> and it's fun because I look at it and when you see it from the distance, you have no idea that's Lego and then you get to get up close and you see the keys and yeah. uh, you're like, uh, how how the machine <laughs> works is just incredible for a mechanical computer aspect of it. Yeah, it's an amazing machine and the whole story behind it of how it was eventually cracked as well i mean actually i suppose in a way you know the, the great achievement here wasn't the enigma machine it was how it was how the code was cracked by the team at bletchley park mm-hmm. you know that that was it was the enigma machine that i, that I built in the end and oh, what was i going to say about it oh and there's also a link to north shields as well because one of the some of the codes that were that were say that were taken from a a sunken U-boat or something it was a guy from North Shields called Tommy Brown, I think his name was. And it, there's a, a memorial to him, literally a minute's walk from my studio, which I didn't know until I started researching it. And he was <laughs> one of the guys that captured some of the code books that allowed them to crack it in the end. So there's, wow. there's even a slight link to, um, to where, I'm, where I'm based. The history of all that is right outside yeah. your door. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't think there was a, a Northeast link for it. And of course, you know, there's, there's lots of stories related to Enigma machines and how the code was cracked from people all over, all over Europe. But mm-hmm. there, just ha- there just happens to be one such story really close to me as well. That's awesome. I love when you're a part of history like that. We, I mean, I'm, we're in Annapolis, which there was all the different battles for us and the Revolutionary War. And yeah. it's cool because you can walk down the street and see something that you've never known was sitting there the whole time yeah. uh, for yeah. 300 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as you keep building, uh, is there anything that you're really excited to finally get back out into? I don't know if lockdown's been lifted completely in England, but have you started any large commissions for clients or museums? That'll be coming yeah, out soon. Um, pretty much getting back to normal, I think. Not completely. I'd like to start doing some clubs. I do some after-school clubs. So I used to. I'd like to start getting back into the projects I've got on at the moment. Are I've got a few sort of corporate gift projects where I'm designing something for a company, and they might only want ten or fifteen of them to give away to clients. Again, quite small ones with instructions. So I've got a couple of them coming up. Probably can't say much about actually at the moment until. <laughs> Until they're out so they there don't well. know. <laughs> have, and I've got another largest project that's just been confirmed for a, a building in the Midlands that's an old sort of stately home. And, and the concept here is they want it built completely in white and then as a centerpiece. And then they're going to get kids to build colourful creations to put on some grounds around it. And I'm really excited about it because I think visually... I can I can picture it now. I think visually it would look brilliant when it's finished. You know, completely the building isn't white, 
you know, it's it's an old stately home, so it's kind of brown and grey and you know whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But they want the they want the Lego model just in white, and then the color will be added by kids building things. So that's um, I can see it now. Yeah, I can picture it in my head, and yeah. it's a very that's a modern centerpiece. Yes, as an art piece, because like you said, the splash of color gets not just creativity from a, an adult mind, but a kid's mind, which is yeah. a whole different animal. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's really saying something about a lot of places. You know, Britain's full of them, old stately homes where you're not allowed to touch anything when you go around. You know, all the furniture's roped off and stuff. And kids, you know, it can be boring for kids because they can't touch anything. It's almost saying, mm-hmm. you know, we've got this amazing building, but this isn't this isn't the story here. You know, the story is the people that come and see it and get involved and add and add to it. So I think, it, yeah, it wasn't my idea. It was their idea, but I'm really excited to get going with that one. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I love the idea of doing something like that. And even when you're talking about these corporate ones, it's fun because then you get to uh, interact and see that, like, oh, the company really knows that these people like Lego and they yeah. wanted to do something well, creative for them. So one of the ones I've just done, it was a, a company that makes welding machines. Uh, and they wanted to give a little model away with each one they sold. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool you know i did that with actually a commission for someone does drills and i would design (laughs) the drills small so anytime a client bought one they they would get this little mini model yeah and you know there's there's nothing about the machine itself that was particularly iconic you know it wasn't like an iconic builder or anything but i did another one that was a little mix a little audio mixing desk that um, they sent out to some of their clients. You know, I never know what those kind of projects are going to be. That one could come in tomorrow, get an inquiry tomorrow for something just as random. But yeah, I just, I just like, I like that aspect of it, doing something. You know, trying to make the client happy, and the feedback they get from them is re- is usually really good. That's awesome. I don't mean to cut this short because we have people here, unfortunately, to see the house. Oh, okay. But I'd love to talk to you again to even discuss further at another time. But. One thing I always want to ask before I end an interview is, you know, how do you think Lego has affected or changed your life? Oh, I I could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> I think I think um I think Lego is probably more important now than ever before for a lot of people who are stuck looking at screens all the time. For me certainly it was a bit of an escape. I think plenty of people grown-ups especially could really do with spending more time playing, doing things with their hands, creating things, you know, as a, at a society level. For me personally, it was very, I was actually going through quite a tough time when I got back into Lego. And I think I found it a little bit of a, of a de-stress and a, te- a mindfulness thing. You know, you look at what the, the change to my career over the last five or six years, and it is com- it has completely changed my life. And I feel like I found my calling for what I do. So, you know, it's absolutely changed my life, Lego has. To a great surprise, you know, I didn't think I'd get back into it. You know, I didn't give it any thought to Lego more than anybody else, really, 10 years ago. Never bought a set since I was a kid or anything. I, I think even, you know, even now if I, uh, I build stuff all day, but I'll still come home and I'll be quite happy to tinker around with a bit of Lego because I find it quite a, a stress release. I think the best word you used is mindfulness because mm. looking into how Lego does that is 
you know, some people have that hard part and they can now use their hands and their minds to yeah. build and create something like that. And, you know, seeing your models displayed in the world also is helpful for other people to realize that, like, yeah. wow, look yeah. at the detail. But I could do that, too, or I could change yeah. this. And then they might go home and do the same thing. Uh, and the thing about mindfulness is I've had people come to my studio and they've and they've stood there or sat there sorting Lego. I've not asked them to. They've just done it. They found a box of Lego and sorted it into colors. Or even just run their hands through the box, <laughs> you know, at one yeah, extreme. And then at the other extreme, yeah. you get people building things. How you interact with Lego is almost irrelevant. It's what you get out of it. And for some people, it's, they don't care about building anything. They just want to be – there's something about just touching it, I think, sometimes and, and randomly putting pieces together. One of the best things, I think, if you get kids building something, you, halfway through, you'll say, oh, what are you building? And they'll often say, I don't know yet. You know, they'll decide at the end what they're building. And sometimes adults will say, oh, I can't do Lego. I don't know what to build. And I kind of say, well, don't worry about that. Just start putting pieces together. I think at some point, a lot, of, a lot of people lose that ability just to do it for the sake of doing it. They need to have an aim because everything in life has an aim, doesn't it? You know, that's always what we're trying to do is to get something achieved. And I think adults often can't turn that part of their brain off. <laughs> so someone yeah. saying to me, I can't do Lego. I don't know what, I, I find that quite sad in a way. <laughs> One, it's definitely something that people can learn. And I think yeah. definitely something we could, I'd love to continue talking about for our next part two interview, if you're up for it, as I do have to run out. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it again because I know I was late, so we didn't perhaps have it long. That's okay. We'll continue this conversation for everyone listening. Thank you for listening to the part one and we'll get to the part two. And Steve, hope we can talk again soon and finish up on that part two. Yeah, happy to. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Back to Back podcast. I apologize for having to end this so soon. Just we had some people coming over to look at the house as we are trying to rent it since we might be, uh, should be moving here soon. Make sure to check out Brick This, Steve's Instagram and website. You can check out some of his builds and maybe purchase some of them. And make sure to follow us on Back to Brick 2 and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. And I'll leave you as I always do. Get creative, get out there, and go build something.